week. Um, good friends of Pete who he sent over to us to encourage us and lead us in some special worship. If you get a chance, say hi to him, give him a hug. Make sure they know that you love them, that you appreciate their ministry and their gifts. Today we're continuing on with this study about the story of God as we've been walking through an understanding of Jesus' presence in the Scriptures from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end as we get into Revelation. So God provides for us clarification of His presence in every situation throughout His story, what we call history, continuing to remind us that He not only never leaves us, but He's always involved with us and with our world that we live in, that God's always accomplishing His purpose and His desire and His direction on a regular, consistent basis. And we've talked about that in such a variety of ways. Uh, last week, we took a little bit of a break, and we talked about mothers and how important they are, and especially how they are called to be involved in the process of bringing up our children, that moms and dads are specifically blessed by God, and He has given them authority to guide and direct their children so they can come to an understanding of who God is and how He can work in their lives. That that's their responsibility that He gives uh, to us, but it also He gives with that responsibility authority to carry it out so that our kids will actually listen to us. And sometimes that's amazing because I think they're not listening to me at all, and then they'll come back later and quote me word for word. Sometimes I wish they didn't remember exactly what it was that I said, but they seem to have this marvelous ability. And what I've discovered over and over with my boys, with my girls, is that they're always listening. And I need to be careful. I need to be very careful because they're always listening. And they're almost always responding uh, as God directs them and continues to stir them up. And as they grow older, I'm amazed I'm amazed at how much uh, they've moved beyond my understanding even in relationship to God's work in their life. I look at my, uh, both, both my girls who have moved now into their 30s. Danielle hit 30 last week. It's amazing considering I'm so young. People, <laughs> did, did Danielle tell you someone mistook her for my wife the other day? That was a bit much, but you know how it goes. What can I say? It was one of those special times for her. She looked... <laughs> oh, God has a great sense of humor. I can, I can say that much for him. As God directs us, though, he tries to bring us to that place of understanding. Not only are we called to guide our children, we're called to respond ourselves to his calling in relationship to what he refers to as the church. So you talked about, you guys got to share together what is the church. Well, I would turn to you and I'd say, good morning, church. Good morning. Exactly. See, you are the, you are the church. Uh, the word church is ecclesia. It means called out of or chosen for. And so it's this picture of people that God has pulled out of a dark place, a dark kingdom it talks about, into a kingdom of light. And he uses the term that it's such a strong thing, he calls it being born again. It's so powerful that you are literally being born again. And you become the church. Uh, this Saturday, I, I just got back from the men's retreat. I was up there until last night. I got home about 12 o'clock last night. My wife waited up for me. Uh, I was so sweet of her. So she's, 
She was waiting like this. <laughs> Hi, honey. Uh, so I, I got back, and what a great time of finding ourselves discovering God's presence within us and around us and bringing us to a better comprehension of what it means to be the church and experiencing the kingdom of God and how that process continues on and how God is calling us to experience it daily on a regular basis. So Jesus is the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's not a future place. It's a present thing right now and a future place. But right now you can experience heaven on a regular basis if you'll allow God to, to bring you there and to show you. And you experience that by choosing to trust him in situations that you want to do something exactly the opposite. But God says, this is what you do when you're obeying me and following my mission and allowing my truth to bring you, as the song just said, abundant life. And when we follow the truth, then we get abundant life as opposed to the other life that we would have gotten if we were chosen just to do what we think we need to do in order to get that money or get that job or take care of that situation, whatever it is. And God say, no, this is how you need to handle that. And it's difficult. They go, but Lord, what I want to do is punch him in the face. And God says, no, what you need to do is you need to bless him. And I'm going, that's just so opposite of what I'm feeling right now. And he said, this is, do you want to experience abundant life, Lee? Do you want to see my kingdom? Well, yes, I do. Then trust me. Bless him. When you do that... You experience something that is so otherworldly and the resulting situation that takes place is amazing. It's remarkable. It's like, oh my goodness, this is the kingdom of God among us. And we experience love for one another despite the fact that only hours earlier, all that we were encountering was conflict and struggle and difficulty. So up there in the... In the mountains, they're experiencing this tears and laughter and insight, illumination from the Holy Spirit, aha moments as God goes, do you see? And suddenly you go, I get it. Unfortunately, you seem to lose it 10 minutes later. You know, that's, that's always my thing. I go, oh, I lost it again. I had it so, so well. I got it. I got it clearly, Lord. And then I, then I lost that picture again. And God says, it's okay. I'm going to illuminate you again. See, the Bible teaches us that the church is Christ's presence manifested on this earth and that as we allow him to work through us in a variety of ways we get to experience his presence here as God literally speaks through us and we become his hands we become his feet and Jesus says you are my church and the gates of hell will never be able to go against it notice that hell has gates we don't and he says you'll actually be pushing back the gates of hell as the kingdom of God continues to encroach upon the property of Satan and calls back those whom God desires to bring into his kingdom to experience his wondrous life and power and, and glory. So 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven says, You are the body of Christ, individually members. Some of you are a toe. Some of you are an eye. You know, some of you are a tongue. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to go too far here, but you're getting the idea. We're all these marvelous members of Christ's body interacting one with the other. And some of us need to pick up stuff. And some of us need to, you know, move things along. Some of us need to carry people. Some of us need to speak for people. There's all these pictures that he's trying to help us understand. You become the body of Christ here on this earth. You are the church. 
you're the family of believers, these called out people. And, and the church is manifested both local. So 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1 starts off and it says, To the church at Thessalonica. And you go to Galatia. To the, to the church at Galatia. And you go, oh, so there's a local church. And then Jesus says, you know, uh, to Peter, he says, Peter, you are the rock. And upon that testimony that you've just given, that wondrous thing, I'm going to build my church. And the church is universal, you see. And so Jesus is building his church. And it's this marvelous, marvelous, organic building. That's living and powerful and changing. And whether you go to Africa, you experience it. Or if you go to Mexico, you experience it. Wherever you go, you find yourself encountering the wondrous spirit of God and his church. The church of God. People chosen by God to proclaim and to perform His will in this world we live in. So we all know the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Thy will be done, thy what? Kingdom come, you know. So it's getting this picture. And Jesus, this is how you should pray. That God's will may be done, that His kingdom might come. And He's talking about not heaven. He's talking about here. Allow his reign to happen in your life and the life of others so they can experience abundant life. Quality life. Not this fake idea of if I have a nicer car or a bigger house, my life gets better. It doesn't. It doesn't. And quality of life is found in the midst of poverty. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are the poor because they recognize their need for God. And they begin to experience the wonder of life without stuff. They have to take care of and clean up and repaint and on and on and on. And we suddenly realize the stuff owns us more than we own it. God said, I want you to experience life without stuff. So Jesus didn't have any stuff. But he had life abundantly. Ecclesia, called out of, called for. We have a mission. Go into all the world, make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you and I'll always be with you. And then we have a manner. So in in Peter he says that, that each of you are this wondrous group of people that are called out to declare the praises of him who chose you from darkness into light. And so that's, that's the manner in which we, we are involved in this, this glorious mission of God. A chosen nation. A, a unique people. Uh, the, the church is a miracle. You ever realize that? When the church just began, I, I love finding myself going back to this picture. Here's this 120 people, and that's it. The whole world, there's 120 people. Nobody else. Nobody's heard of Jesus. You know, he, they've come into this area, but now everyone is left. There's 120 left, and you're going... Boy, Lord, you gotta, this is going to be tough. So uh, there's 120 people and there's 160 million population of the world at that point in time. So you can kind of get the picture. It's basically, you know, one to a million is what you're, you're talking here. One person to every million. And today, and we talked about, you know, Christianity is, is struggling. But I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's like one and a half billion out of six billion or one out of every six people is a Christian. And you go, what? Yeah, that's, that's how phenomenal God is. 
has grown this marvelous, marvelous church. So Jesus kept giving all these pictures of a little mustard seed to grow up and become this huge thing. And he's speaking about us. He's speaking about the church of today. The billion and a half people that have responded to the message and have experienced the wonder of who Jesus and who God is. Miraculous. Truly miraculous. God's family. Chosen to love regardless. But there's something special that I want you to get. Because when we talk about the church, and I think it's why the church is so special. What I've discovered is you can only love through community. You can only love through community. Commitment allows us to love one another. When we're committed to one another, we have a community that we're committed to, we're able to love one another in spite of our struggles and our difficulties. But if we choose not to be part of the community, then we choose not to be able to love. And that's why the church is called to to love one another. Jesus said the mark, the mark by which you'll be able to identify my people will be simple. The number one mark that you will see is their ability to what? To love one another. But you see, if I don't know you, I can't really love you. My love is experienced after I respond to you and then I interact with you and then I come to know you and then I can say, I love you. And you can believe it because I know you. And you, some of you will even say, how can you love me? You know all this stuff about me. I, I say, I don't love your stuff. I love you. And that's what God says to us. I, I love you. I want to help you get rid of your stuff because I want you to enjoy abundant, powerful life. So today's teaching is about the church. It's about Acts 2. So we're going to turn there to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to focus on verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll read together this Acts 2, 42. First I'm going to read all the way through 47. Then we'll come back and read together verse 42 here, all right? They devoted themselves. So they've come here. He has preached the first message about who Jesus is, their necessity of repenting. He says they've come for, they've been baptized, some 3,000 different men and women and children. So there's probably about 5,000 people. There's been a lot of baptizing going on. have been immersed. They've gone through this process. And now they start meeting together. And it says they devoted themselves from that point on to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe because there were all these wonders and signs performed by all the apostles and all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They actually sold all their property. They gave away all their possessions to give to everyone and anyone who had a need. And then every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. So here's, here's the, the, the primary verse of this section that Luke tries to pull together for us. And you need to remind yourself, Luke is functioning as an historian when he writes down this series of letters. And he's trying to keep it fairly small so he can give it out to all the churches so they can know what went on during this uh, number of years uh, of the early church. He's trying to make sure you have this, this structure put together. And so he kind of pulls a few things together tightly to help us understand it. Pulls into tight terms. And so he uses this in relationship to the church and what 
elements were involved in the early church that are going to continue on. We're going to see it throughout all the other letters. These elements were found in the church whenever they came together. These were the prime elements that were regularly and consistently there. So read it with me. They devoted themselves to the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, the the is there because it actually says in the the Greek it's the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. He's trying to distinguish a particular type of actions that they were involved in. So the first thing that they were involved in, the first primary element was the apostles' teaching. So this is new teaching. This is an understanding that Jesus had given to the apostles and they're sitting, learning from them what the scriptures really mean in relationship to who Jesus was and how it all uh, comes together. They're sharing what we refer to as the didache, okay, which is a word for which we get the term doctrine, which is the basic truths of who Jesus was, how he provides for us a relationship with God the Father, and how we need to respond to him and to God on a regular basis, or as Jesus put it, how you can enter into the kingdom of God, how you can experience God's kingdom on this earth on a consistent and regular basis. So all the teaching we do here, we're trying to help you understand how to enter into the kingdom of God. So we're teaching, obey these things that God has given us, follow these truths, and then you will be set free and you'll be able to enter into the kingdom of God. The idea being that we're all prisoners of sin and world structure and system and we live in it, so we have to constantly be, have doors open to kind of push us out. We're, we're this, okay, move out, go in there. And we go, he says, okay, start giving so you can gain. And I go, ah, it's all my stuff. God says, no, 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 that's not your stuff, it's my stuff, and I want you to give it away. I've got more. I go, that just doesn't make any sense. It'll make sense in a minute. Give it away. Give it away. Give, and I'm, ah. So I break it into ones. I don't want to give away a ten. I'll give away two fives. You know, little at a time, right, Lord? Baby steps, baby steps. And that, that's the picture, though. So all these things, that's what God is teaching. He said, okay, that's the apostles' teaching. You know, do this, do this. And it says, so they gave away everything they had, so they had everything in common. And all the funds were provided so everyone would always be able to eat well and enjoy everything they needed in terms of a place to live and a, a, you know, a roof over their heads, all this stuff. And this is what's going on within, within the Jerusalem church. This wonderful picture of community is taking place. They're living life together. And they're teaching them how to live life together through presenting truth, the apostles' teachings. Here's how we do this. No, 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 we don't do that. No, we don't do that. Look, here's what God said. Oh, okay. Here's how you love. That's not love. No, no, no. That's called lust. That's not love. That's not good for you. You don't want to do that. You need to do this. Oh, okay. And so we learn to respond together, and we work through these issues, and we find ourselves experiencing the kingdom of God is here among you. And that's what they're experiencing. They're devoted to the teaching. They're listening. They're learning. They're growing. They're obedient to the teachings Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. When I came to you, I spoke to you clearly about the the crucifixion, of what that meant, about how Jesus lived and why he died, how you can experience forgiveness and hope and meaning and direction, how God gives us purpose. All these things I taught you when I first came. I didn't teach you my stuff. I taught you the stuff that Jesus told me to teach you. 
So the gospel, the core teachings about Jesus, about the king, and about the kingdom. And throughout the book of Acts, the book of Acts is like the heart and the head of Jesus. So if you tear apart any page and then you open it up, it'll have something about the head or the heart of Jesus. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. Over and over. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You've got get over this Jesus thing. And they don't. They say, no, no, no. You don't want to get over it. You want to get into it. You want to experience this wondrous, glorious power of God in the purpose in your life. And then the scripture goes on in 1 Timothy. He says, Paul is talking. He said, somebody's asked him, well, what's the goal of all this instruction that we're getting? We're getting all this teaching. Why are we doing this? He says, the goal of our instruction, and you look at that verse here in your outline. He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. It could actually be, is love from a pure heart, a pure conscience, and a pure faith. It's really all three the same thing. And he's saying, our goal is that you might be purified so that you can love, so that you can have a conscience that says you're doing the right thing, and so you can have a faith in which you're moving forward and experiencing God's kingdom on a regular basis. And, and this idea of sincerity or purity, it actually comes from a, I'll give you a story. There, there would be a number of statues going, you see all the statues of a polish, you know, and that you the white, pure statue made of marble. You guys have seen some of those? Yeah? Yeah, okay, good. If you haven't, you know, go look at Wikipedia or something. But They're all over there. Okay. Yeah, you see these wondrous pictures. It's Roman. It's like that's just part of the Roman thing. Well, they would always make these beautiful, beautiful statues. One of the big things is to have a statue in your garden. Everybody want to have a statue, this beautiful marble statue. Well, the problem was much of the marble wasn't pure. It wasn't really done all that well. And the guys, to get around it, they would actually fill them with wax, so they would clean it all up and they'd fill all the empty spots with wax. And you'd look at it and look like, wow, this looks really good. But when you got it in your garden and the sun hit it, yeah, it started to melt and you go, oh, man, did he really do that to me? So the picture of sincerity, it actually means without wax. You're pure. You're without wax. You're pure marble without wax. When the sun hits it, wow, they really are pure. They, they truly are made that way. They have a sincere, without wax faith. And that's what Paul says. That's the mark. You find yourself loving one another for, for truth, out, out of a motivation just to love, not to get anything back, just, just to love. This wondrous ability that God gives us, this pure, pure thing that enables us to love and to hope and to have faith and, and watch God work. So we're drinking the good water, someone might say. I just went down to Mexico. What do you not do in Mexico? Don't drink the water. It's all got to be bottled. I'm wondering about the bottled water. Okay? I watched the guy in the back room when he was... Uh, no, not really, but I always think, I just got in the back room filling these things up after you recycle them and just bring them back over, and we think it's fine, so we end up being fine. I don't Probably not. No, it's real. Don't drink the water. Well, in our case, we're supposed to be devoted to this wonderful teaching that God has had, and we find ourselves becoming pure. It takes away the wax out of our life, and we become pure and whole and complete. That's the first distinctive of the early church, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second distinctive. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. I'm going to ask a couple of our people to come up. I talked to them earlier. And they're going to pray 
for us on specific areas. Now, if you've got your outline there, you're going to notice. So those of you I talked to, you're going to come on up here. Ken, come on up. and Mary's going to come up and Judy's going to come up. And that's going to be good. We'll do those three because I need a little help here. I, I, you know, you get tired of my prayers. So I thought, well, we'll let some more sincere people pray for you. And as Ken said, everybody likes my wife more than me. I didn't say it. God said it. God said <laughs> He told me that, too. Oh, he said that? Yeah, he said that, to, he said that to me, too. Okay, so, so what we're going to do here is, is oftentimes we talk about prayer. That here it says Epaphras prays for you on a regular basis, but he prays that you might become spiritually mature. See, oftentimes we pray, Bill, Pastor, will you pray for me? My back is hurt. Will you pray for me? My my daughter is struggling. You know, these different things here. And I'm saying, we need to be praying for spiritual maturity. And the process of prayer is one in which we move into the presence of God and we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to move us and to change us and to get involved in these circumstances. And Jesus is exalted. So we pray in whose name? Yeah, so we come to the Father in the name of Jesus. We say, okay, I'm coming to you in the name of your son, and your son told me, and he goes, okay. He says, therefore, the king will respond to you. The king will respond to you because you're coming in the name of his son. So you, you get praying for growth. And so I've brought up these three spiritual giants here, and they're going to pray simple prayers that I've asked them to walk through. These are biblical prayers. Because sometimes you say, Pastor, I, I don't know what to pray for. Here are five biblical prayers, okay? So I'm going to do the first one. And the first one is in relationship to this. It says in Ephesians 3.18, I pray that you'll be able to feel and understand how long, how wide, how deep, and how high Christ's love really is, and to experience this love for yourself. Now, many of you know someone who needs to understand and experience God's love, right? So close your eyes, and I'm going to pray, and you guys kind of pray along with me this simple prayer. Father, today, I ask that you will speak to this person's heart. I've got a person in mind, Lord, that you might help them to understand that you love them. And that you will do something specifically to bring that truth to light. Let them experience and understand that you love them. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I had someone in mind I brought there. I hope you brought somebody for the loan that the Lord there too. Now, this next prayer is a prayer I call eager to do what is right. You pray that they might be eager to do what is right. And I call this is a parental prayer. Hey, I got Ken to do it, even though he's not a parent. But yeah, I think he feels like he's your parent <laughs> as, he, as he shares with you every week and tries to encourage us there. So it's, I pray, Paul tells us, that you would be eager to do what is right. So I'm going to ask Ken to pray that prayer. And I want you to think of a person. Who, what person you think of? Lord, I want to bring this person to you that they might be eager to do the right thing. Heavenly Father, we just we hear this command to be eager to do what's right. Lord, please get my heart right to start with, Father. And we pray for those who don't understand this concept, Lord, 
that they would be moved by the Holy Spirit to begin to seek to do and be eager to do what is right, Lord. We give you, th- we give you, these pr- we give you praise and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That next scripture says this, I pray that the God who gives hope will fill you with so much joy and peace while you trust in him. Who needs more hope in their lives? And we're like, oh, I could use a little more hope, Lord. Yeah. Who doesn't need more joy and more peace? So uh, as Liz would say, enough chit-chat. Let's, let's pray and ask God to do these very things. And I'll, I'll do this one myself, okay? Father, we come to you and we ask that you might fill us with joy. That you might overwhelm us with peace. And that this day we'll find ourselves when we get shaken, just bursting forth with words of thankfulness for who you are and for what you've done. Or with silence as we find ourselves rejoicing in the peace that you give us in the midst of difficulty and struggle and pain. Today, Lord, we ask that you might grab each one of us here and allow that to take place. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this next one I'm going to ask Judy uh, to pray for. And it says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I want to give you an understanding that I watched a TV show a, a while back. And it was a, a young lady whose mother had died. And the priest comes up to her and he shares with her, you know, God will never give you any more than you can handle. And she said... I've encountered this before. Well, does that mean if I was weaker that my mom would still be alive? He said, no, not at all. You see, God gives us strength to match our adversity, not problems to match our strength. God gives us strength to match our adversity, not problems to match our strength. And Nehemiah says it this way, our God has turned a curse into a blessing. So, who do you have that's facing a big decision? They have to make a big decision in their life. Once you think of that person, Judy's going to pray for us right now about that arena. Father God, we want to know Jesus better. And it's the work of your Holy Spirit to give us that revelation of wisdom and the knowledge of him. Mm-hmm. And that wisdom and revelation can give us help in our decision making. Mm-hmm. Because we want to see Jesus in the situation and follow the leading that Jesus would give. And we ask to be empowered through the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus as we understand and grow in the revelation of who he really is in our lives, in every situation we face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Last one, last of these five prayers. Second Thessalonians 3, 5, it says, I pray the Lord will guide you to be as loving as God and as patient as Christ as loving as God, and as patient as Christ. And I've asked my wife, Mary, to pray for us along that end. 
Oh, Lord, um, I don't like praying for patience. <laughs> I'm always scared of that. Yes. Um, but I do like praying that you would help me love others. And mm. um, it just seems to be that's how it flows. Um, and loving and understanding someone um, gives me much more patience with them. Mm-hmm. So I know, Lord, that's what you model for us. You continually show us love and understanding. And then you continually, wow, grant us your patience. And you never give up on us. Mm-hmm. Um, I pray for the people in our lives that um, can be tough sometimes. And, and it's hard, Lord. But give us love for these people and give us an understanding heart mm-hmm. that um, that patience would just flow out of us just as a natural process. I, I lift this um, church up to you, and I pray that we would just model, Lord, your love and patience to the world around us, to our families, Lord, and um, to also, Lord, to the people that are hard to love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's give these guys a hand. Hey, thanks, Only guys. a doctor should pray for patience. Only a doctor should pray for patience, is what Ken said. <sighs> Ken, you left your outline here. There's nothing on it. Oh. Forgive me, Lord. But it was fun. Oh, my goodness. So the, the church is involved in prayer and the church is involved in the teaching. So they're learning about who God is and how he can work in their lives and they're kind of rubbing off of each other and they're, and they're praying consistently and regularly, one for another. They're involved in this process. And this is the third thing they're involved in. I think it feeds right out of that prayer area. It's a thing called koinonia or fellowship. And we use the term fellowship, which is one of those words that I always go, what does that mean? fellowship. It just sounds weird. You know, hey, let's go fellowship together. That sounds awkward, doesn't it? Just like, okay. So what is this word? The word is actually koinonia, and it means common partners. Common partners. So if that helps any. If you want to remember the word someone taught me, so I'd never forget, they they put a coin on their knee and say, that's koinonia. I went, okay, koinonia. Okay, good. So you're never going to forget it now. Sorry, it's, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to go, oh my goodness, Pastor, why'd you do that? Koinonia is this marvelous word that talks about partners who not just get along, but they think alike. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married now some 38 years. and uh, The amazing thing is, she will think of something as I'm thinking. It gets a little scary at times. She'll go, what are you, how about we, and I go, whoa. I was just thinking of that exact, I mean, even the words she uses are the same words I'd use. And that's koinonia. That's this common fellowship, common thinking, common acting. It's a sense of, of oneness that you experience when you're together on a constant, consistent basis. And what happens is when we experience koinonia, the person becomes our best friend. Okay? And we find ourselves, Danielle's one of these. I don't know how well you know Danielle. She's my daughter. But when she was 10 years old, we would go on a trip and we'd, we'd stop and there'd be a pool at the motel. And she'd have five new best friends 
Okay? By the time she got out of the pool, Dad, meet my new best friend. We go, oh my goodness. She has this remarkable ability to coinonize, you know, <laughs> to, to develop this instant relationship with people. They just go, wow. She got it from her mom who does the same thing. Remarkable ability to gather in people and make them their partners that they feel loved and encouraged and appreciated and listened to. And that's koinonia. That's this remarkable thing. It says the church was devoted to involving this. And Romans puts it this way. May God develop maturity in you so that you will all get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. You could circle all get along. And the, the, the test of maturity is the ability to get along with one another. And so what I found out with both of these people, Danielle and Mary, and they never like me pointing them out, but too bad, so is that they have this marvelous ability to get along with anybody. She had this almost instant maturity that said, you know, everybody has gifts and abilities, and we just kind of bring them in and let them be part of the party. And everyone feels welcomed. That's maturity. And the mark of maturity, the first mark of maturity in the church is the ability to get along with one another. The the other thing, the opposite is true, is churches that don't, you've been to churches that don't get along? It is so uncomfortable. I was a new Christian, walked in this meeting in this church in Northern California, and we had the worship, and it was like John and, and Marnie. It was just this great worship. We're, oh, it's so good, and we're, it's all this great stuff. And, and it got done. They say, okay, uh, anyone that's visiting from you need to leave now because we're going to discuss the business of the church. I was like, okay. But I stayed in the back because I do things like that. So I kind of stayed in the back, and I watched them gather together and start arguing about everything. And I thought, this is the church? Really? This isn't koinonia. This is wrong. And I was a new Christian, but I recognized this was wrong. This was not of God. And I think God's heart just breaks when he sees his church caught up in all this critical interaction. And I really think, I'm going to pick on John and Marnie. I really think Paul and Marnie should have, should have uh, sang this song instead. If they were really in touch with God, they would have sang Amazing Grace. Not, this is Amazing Grace. And we're laughing, but some of you thought some of that. It was a different thought. I wish they would do this song. And I go, maturity is we learn to get along and enjoy whatever it is that's being brought to the table. So when we sit down at dinner and it's, uh, whoa, we've got this marvelous chicken salad Oh, thank you, Jesus. Chicken salad. I'm a man. I want meat, not little pieces of chicken in the middle of salad. Okay? And, and the Lord says, shut up, Lee. Aren't you blessed? And eat the salad and enjoy it. Rejoice in what God has brought to the table. And that's the cry of koinonia. I don't say, you know, uh, I'm not going to eat that. or share. We, we learn early on, you eat what's brought before you. You go to somebody's house, and you sit down, 
and they give you spaghetti that you hate, you eat every bit of it. Oh, man. It's a sign of maturity. Choke it down, baby. Choke it down. Or do the old, <coughs> in your napkin thing, you know, you can kind of move it. You're getting the idea. Koinonia is this marvelous ability to love other people more than you love yourself or your own ideas or your own opinion. And you find yourself getting along and interacting with each other because you love each other. And it continues on with a process of, of praying for one another and sharing our faults and our struggles one with another. And instead of looking at them and thinking, wow, you really got a problem, you're right. You go, oh, and you listen, you care, and you pray for them. So it's interesting that the scriptures we keep walking through this says, you need to admit your faults to one another. Not to the pastor, not just to God, not just to account. Admit your faults one to another, and then pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, there's a big difference between forgiveness and emotional healing. Forgiveness comes when I come before God and say, God, will you forgive me? And God forgives me. But sometimes I don't feel forgiven. And I, I need to gather together with a group of friends that are with me so they can affirm with me that I have been forgiven. And they pray for me that I might experience that forgiveness in my life. And they begin to take away that scar, that emotional scar that's within me. And I go, how marvelous it is, because if they can love me and forgive me, I'm sure God loves me and forgives me. And, and this koinonia has this wonderful healing process that takes place in our life. And then we find ourselves getting even a fresh start. Like Proverbs 28:13, it says, Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. And see, in the midst of these groups, when we mess up, we come back in, we say, I'm so sorry, I got all upset last week, I blew it, I got angry, I shouldn't have said those things. We say, oh, you know, we love you, come on in, it's all right, you're forgiven, now let's pray for you. And so you pray for them and ask God to bless them and encourage them and let them know how much we love them and, and appreciate all the things they bring to the table. You see, because when you're with this kind of a group, they're busy about rubbing out your issues, not rubbing them in. And so they're busy rubbing out your struggles and your difficulties and you find yourself going, I really like being here because this is a place not just of safety, but it's a place of love. It's a place of, of koinonia. It's a place of healing. There's a fresh start. There's newness and uh, goes on to say, if we live in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, koinonia, one with another. We quit hiding our stuff. We say, this is who I am. And uh, help me to become who God desires me to be. And be involved with me in the journey. Because it's a journey. And we continue on. I want to experience more of the kingdom of God in my life. But I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. Here. Well, let me help you and work with it. And we're involved in that process of honesty and transparency and truthfulness. And isn't that the kind of people you like to be with? Do you like to be with the jerks that talk about how wonderful they are? Of course not. And the people that are so high and mighty and they're so holy. Every time they walk in, you sing, holy, holy, holy. It's like, oh, please go somewhere else because we're not having any fun while you're here around us now. And you go, oh, boy, because they're just so stuck up. They're so caught up in their own world and it's false. It's fake. It's all pride. Go home so we can have fun being real. 
struggling. And sometimes we just come in, I just want to cry. Okay, let's cry. Let's cry together. You know me, I'll cry with you. We're both crying. <laughs> Which kind of, I don't know. I just, they needed to cry, so I, I, I cried. I, I had koinonia. Okay? Heart to heart. You got the idea? That's what was going on in the church. Is we're getting up everything. We're struggling together. We're, we're rejoicing together. We're laughing together. We're, we're just dealing with life together. And he's discovering the, the kingdom principles of God about how to love and care and minister and, and support and forgive and all these wondrous, wondrous truths that Jesus teaches. So those were three of the primary elements. And the last one is what we're going to do right now. And that's it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And what that's referring to is Jesus' last statement. He says, in this last day, he broke bread with them. And it's a reference to communion. It's a reference to the early church that would regularly come together and they would have koinonia. And in the midst of that koinonia, what was happening more often than not is they ate a meal together. Have you noticed that when you eat food together, it just kind of opens up things. It's just more comfortable. Pass the potatoes. You know, anytime you get into trouble, you don't know what to say. Could you pass the potatoes? Where's the salt? Uh, got any, and there's just something happens. So we're eating this meal together. And after we eat our meal, then they would all, okay, let's all share in this wondrous declaration of the glory of God. And we're going to break bread together. We're going to establish the breaking of bread. And they together would share in what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion. And that's the time in which everybody, after this koinonia time, reminds himself once again that we're all, we're all one. We all come under the cross. We're all forgiven because of what Jesus has done. We're all called and chosen to be his church. We're all part of his family. All one. We're all koinonized. Eh? Common. Together. As one. And that was the final thing the church would do. So after you ate supper together, and by the way, in Corinthians, Paul talks about one of the mistakes that began to happen later, is the church had come together, and, and Charlie had bring some great food, you know, with his wife, and, and it was just really good stuff, and so they joined with us, and we'd sit down, and we were having great fried chicken and mashed potatoes, but, you know, it was over here, but Liz came, and she, she just brought a little chicken salad. And nobody wanted it because uh, there wasn't much of it. And she was kind of, uh, and, and what was happening was the people would literally, though, be hungry. They'd come in there hungry. And I got all this food. I said, well, when I'm done, we'll share in the Lord's Supper. And they go, whoa. Paul says, what happened to your koinonia? If you've got two pieces of chicken, you give one to your friend. And God will multiply that. Don't you want to see the miracles? That's what he's saying. Don't you want to see God do these wondrous things? Instead, you crowded around your chicken and eating yourself. Stop it. When you come together, if you're going to do that, stay home and eat first, then come here and share in the breaking of bread. But when you come, we're all together as one. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. All as one. We share in this wondrous time of communion with God. And with one another, we are one. The church, ecclesia, called out, common, all one, all the same, God's children. 
So we're going to do this now. I'm going to ask Paul and Marnie to come up. They're going to lead us in a little song. And as they share this song, what I want you to do is we're going to stand up. In fact, why don't you guys stand up? They're coming up. You guys can stand up. Kind of move to the sides.